Hi, Derek Campana here. On my show, Wizard of Paws, I help animals get moving again, and hopefully with a lot less pain. Whether it's prosthetics for ponies or braces for beagles, I custom build solutions so they can live their best lives. Every animal has a unique story with pet owners who love them, and it's my goal to find a solution that works for each one of them. Watch Wizard of Paws on BYU TV or the free BYU TV app. There is an anointing. There is a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We have to look to God in our time of trouble. Stop trying to barter with the Lord. God can do anything. We've got to believe that today. And understand that Jesus is King and Lord, and He knows what is best for he you. He did everything. Um, this morning, I want to ask, ask you to take your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. I want to speak on the topic of <clears throat> communion with the Holy Spirit or communion with God. We are actually in a series on prayer, and we're just going to be highlighting some of the uh, important things that we need to know to be able to stay connected with God and really experience heaven on earth. Because ultimately, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, is experiencing his kingdom on earth. Experiencing everything that he has in store for us individually and also corporately as his church. And um, there's some things I'm going to share today I believe that will really challenge you. And I believe that this is a, a very powerful uh, and timely message for us regarding staying connected to Jesus, living in a place of constant communion. You know, I saw a car a few months ago driving down the freeway, and on that car there was a, a sign, and there was a, some graphic, and what it said was this, creating a sustainable environment. And as I read that, I thought that's exactly what the Lord has called us to do when he said in Matthew that we are to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as in heaven. That that would be a reality, that we would live in that, that environment of heaven on earth, his presence, but it would be sustainable. Be something that we experience, you know, when I go to church or when I go to presence encounter on Sunday night or, you know, on these special times that we have in prayer, but it becomes something that is sustainable, something that becomes uh, regular and frequent in our lives. And that's the way it was with Jesus. So we're going to start reading at Mark chapter 9, um, Mark chapter 9, verse 17. This is a, an amazing story about how Jesus was up on the mountain with his disciples. He came down and there was an argument. This argument was this father had brought his son to Jesus' disciples and pleaded with him, can you please heal my son? And of course, what happened was they were not able to do so. Look at this, starting at verse number 17. One of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they, what? Could not. He answered and said, it must not be the will of my father to heal him. Why are you bringing the boy to me? <laughs> All right. Is that what he said? It must, why are you bothering me? The same spirit that lives in me is in my disciples. If they weren't able to heal him, why are you bringing the boy to me? Is that what Jesus said? No. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. He answered and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Wow, that looks, that's fun. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Woo, there's authority, right? Not only come out of him, but don't you even dare try to go back. That's amazing. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray today that we would shift to that place where we learn how to walk and live in the same presence that Jesus did when he was on the earth. Lord, help us to make that our goal, that we would not, uh, Father, settle for anything less than your perfect plan for us to walk and live in your presence all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It's amazing, you know, we know that Jesus lived in a, a, a state of constant miracles. The supernatural was natural to Jesus. The extraordinary was ordinary. His life was marked by the miraculous. And there was not a single day that would go by that, were, that there was not a, a myriad of miracles that took place. Think about that. It wasn't just like once a week there might have been a miracle. We would, we would be uh, just overwhelmed if we saw a miracle once a week, wouldn't we? If we saw our prayers answered once a week, we'd think, oh, that's so amazing. I mean, we're in, we're in revival. God's moving. But Jesus saw a myriad of miracles every day when he was on the earth. And I love what it says in, in John chapter 21, verse 25. And here it actually, the writer says, all these, speaking of the miracles, the signs that Jesus did, are also, he said, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Now, think about this. John had highlighted seven notable miracles in the ministry of Jesus. Extraordinary miracles, including the raising of the dead. But yet, at the end of it, he said, what I've just presented to you is a very brief synopsis. What I've just showed you in my writing is just, you know, is just scratching the surface. There's so much more that happened when Jesus was on the earth that if it was all written down, you know, it, it would be so much, there would be so much to say about it, so much to write about it that all the books that would be written, even the world itself couldn't contain it. Wow. Now, when you read that verse of scripture and, and you know, you've got commentators who, who will say, well, that's hyperbole. Jesus was, uh, the writer John was exaggerating to make a point. I mean, how could things be, be so many miracles that, that you couldn't write about everything. Well, I recognize that it's not just uh, the number of miracles that he's referring to, but also the impact that was having on other people. You know, we read a passage of scripture, we hear a testimony, and as we read that, we're reading the story of someone else often and what God did in their life, but it impacts us, doesn't it? And then as we preach that, as we share that, then it impacts other people and it just continues to, to go out and, and to touch many people's lives. And, and this is certainly true, but I, I also believe that there, the sheer volume of miracles, the, the amount of miracles that took place in Jesus' ministry was way beyond what we would, we would often identify and recognize. I want you to think about this. In, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it's speaking about Jesus doing miracles. And it says, when evening had come, they brought to him many, many. That word means multitudes. Many who were demon-possessed. Multitudes. Guys, hundreds, thousands. Think about that. Can you imagine? We go, sometimes we go to places and we minister 
and people are so hungry for God. When Jeff and I were in Africa last February, and the queue of people that were lined up for prayer, for healing, for ministry, we, we were there for hours, hours praying for people. Jesus, Luke chapter 4, verse 40, says he laid his hand on each one of them and healed them all. Thousands. He laid his hands on them and healed them all, every single one of them. Woo. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, here's the interesting thing. It says he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. He did this with a word. It's interesting because I've been in situations and, and ministry opportunities. You know, I remember when we were in Palawan in the Philippines and we were ministering, uh, doing a miracle service on a Sunday night. And the way there was just so many people there and so many people that needed to touch from God. And we did lay hands on them and God touched them. But even before that, I just prayed a prayer and I just said, in Jesus' name, we command all sickness, all disease to go. And there were some words of knowledge that came out that were very specific. But saying that prayer, as I said that, and took authority and exercised authority and released the word of God, people began to be healed just sitting there. I've seen it happen in Western nations as well. We're just taking authority. And, and when you faith reaches out and connects with that word of God, that spoken word of God, miracles occur. Heaven comes to earth. Your situation and circumstance changes and his will is done and supplants and replaces what is happening in your reality. His kingdom becomes your new reality. And I've seen that occur. So think with me, if you would. You know, I, I remember as a child, I was in at least three healing meetings where Catherine Kuhlman was ministering. And I was healed in one of them. And one of the things about Catherine Kuhlman and her ministry, there would, people would line up guys for, for 24 hours sometimes to get into the building. And no matter, did Catherine Kuhlman lay hands on people? Very few. Very few people. But the miracles that happened as people were instantly healed of cancer, came out of wheelchairs, sickness, disease, and, and all of the things that happened, it was the spoken word. She would declare the word of God and something would happen. But let me just say something to you. The word of God is in itself spirit and life. That's what Jesus said. The words that I speak to you, John 6, verse 63, are spirit and life. When the word of God, the word who, be, the word, what does it say? Became flesh, right? And he dwelt among us, but then the word who became flesh, his words became spirit and life. And as he was in our midst in the, on the earth in those days, and as he is in our midst now by the Holy Spirit, the same thing begins to happen. And there was an atmosphere, there was an environment that was created by uh, Catherine Kuhlman and the anointing that she carried and she walked in. When you would just walk in that building, people would get healed just sitting there in that atmosphere. I know many people that were healed in our meeting. I, rem I recall uh, one of my friends telling me the story about what I, one of his family members who, who was sitting uh, near the front where in the Catherine Kuhlman healing meeting, and she was very skeptical. She didn't even want to be there. She didn't believe that God would heal her. She felt that Catherine Kuhlman was a fake. And what happened was as she came out to, to minister, and she walked right by this woman, and this woman fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit and was instantly healed, just the anointing that she carried. I remember being in a meeting with Richard Roberts and Richard Roberts sharing the story that when Catherine Kuhlman came to the Maybe Center in 1973 at Roberts University and how there were people that scoffed and mocked, even students at, at the school because obviously she was a very different type of woman. But she would spend so much time in the presence of God and one day she walked out of her room and she was walking down the corridor of the university and there was a couple of men there that worked there as more like janitors, custodians. And as she walked by them, they had been mocking her and, and just laughing at her because of her peculiar personality. And even as she walked by them, they both were slain under the power of the Holy Spirit. They fell out on the hallway. Amazing. 
This is an anointing. This is what we're talking about when we read in Acts chapter 5 that Peter's shadow healed the sick. Peter's shadow healed the sick. Can you imagine? And it says that everyone who, who, who was, came in contact with Peter was healed and delivered. That's what it says. It's amazing. Every person. And when we look at Jesus, this was clearly the way that he lived. He not only preached the kingdom, but he carried it wherever he went. He changed the atmosphere and created a sustainable environment where the miraculous flourished. What was it that it, we could attribute to this unceasing flow of the Spirit's power in and through Jesus' ministry? Well, I believe the key is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Please put this on my tombstone. The fact is, it's this place of communion with God that is going to change everything. It's this place of constant communion with God. It's a place of uninterrupted intimacy with the Father. Jesus practiced the presence of God. Things shifted and changed because of what he carried, but there was a high price that he paid in order to carry that. He often withdrew into the secret place. We talked about Cherith or Cherith last week and what it means, or the week before, what it means to live in that secret place. And we see this demonstrated by Jesus. When you read the Gospel of Luke, one of the interesting things to note is that Luke is speaking about the humanity of our Lord. But Luke also highlights the miracles that took place and how he impacted so many people. But he focuses on the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit being released through Jesus' ministry. Why? Because Luke highlights Jesus' commitment to prayer. No one prayed like Jesus prayed. But Jesus' prayer wasn't just going before his father and, and, and saying, Lord, you know, I have need of this. <laughs> so interesting, Jesus told us, your father already knows what you have need of. He's aware of everything that you have need of. So why do you stress? Why do you worry when your father knows everything that you have need of? Trust him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything that you have, you need, will come to pass. What about us today? What about our prayer lives? Many people do not pray very often as Christians. It's a sad reality. And when we do pray, it's because we are in a crisis. Things are difficult in our life. And I've got to call out to God because, you know, I, this is overwhelming. This is too much. I'm asking God to help me to get through this. Many Christians pray only when they need deliverance from their present circumstances, when they are in distress and they seek relief from adversity. It's then that they offer up their petition to the Lord, right? Invoking his protection, invoking his deliverance, asking him for preservation. And there's nothing wrong with this because even the Lord himself tells us in Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. There's nothing wrong with this. But let me tell you that there's so much more than crisis management praying. There's so much more, as rewarding as it is to experience the miraculous intervention of the Lord in our lives, there's so much more. Many people pray out of the destitution of their lives. Jesus prayed with a real desperation for his Father's presence, to stay in that place, to be connected to his Father, to have communion with his Father. I love the fact that when you go back to the very beginning, when God called his people, uh, created mankind, 
What we read about is that the Lord had communion with them. He was with them in the garden. There was a place of intimacy, a place of communion. And as a result of sin entering the world and their trespass, they forfeited that. They lost that. They were separated from the presence of God. And when the Lord decides that he's going to restore his people to himself, he raises up a nation by the name of Israel, and he sets apart a man by the name of Moses. And he tells Moses in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus in verse number 8, Moses, I want you to build me a sanctuary. Build me a house. Build me a temple or a tabernacle. And he tells him the reason why is I want to dwell among my people. I've mentioned this recently. I'm not sure if it was in our school ministry or here on Sunday, but when you read the book of Exodus and you think, well, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments when he was on the top of Mount Sinai, and that's true, but do you realize that God also gave Moses a blueprint for a tabernacle, and more content is, is devoted to that in the book of Exodus than there is, like way more than the Ten Commandments. And God was saying from the very beginning, I'm not just looking for a people that will keep my commandments, but I'm wanting to have fellowship. I'm wanting to have communion with you. This is my heart. So many people, they look at Moses. Well, Moses and the law. Thank God we're not under that. But Moses sat and conversed with God face to face as a man does with his friend. Moses had a special relationship with God. And the Lord said, I want this to be something that I can dwell among my people. In the new covenant, everything has gotten better. Now, the presence of God is not just among us, but it's in us. He lives in us because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's closer to us than he was to Moses, to Elijah, to David. He's closer to us than all these great men of God that we read about that did those miracles. But what about us? What is our desire and prayer? Is it simply, God, help me. Bail me out of this situation. I'm in trouble. I feel so discouraged. I feel so depressed. God, where are you? And God's saying, I'm here. I've always been here. Where are you? Where are you? I want to spend time with you, but you're too busy. You're neglecting my presence. We know the story. In Luke chapter 10, there's Mary and there's Martha. Two sisters. Jesus shows up in their home. What occurs is Martha is busy prepping food so that she can take care and feed Jesus and, and the guests in her home. And Mary is doing nothing. She's not helping her sister. Martha takes notice of this and approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, look at my sister Mary. She's sitting here at your feet while I'm doing all of this, all of this stuff. Jesus, tell her to help me. The Lord says, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. You're being pulled in many different directions. You're, 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 you're experiencing internal conflict in life and 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 look at look at Mary look at she's chosen the better part she's chosen to do what is right she's chosen what what I really want her to choose and she's sitting at my feet right now and and this is the most important thing will you take time to sit at his feet will you choose the better part sometimes we worship the work of God more than we do the God of the work. We're so preoccupied. But true prayer is communion with God. It's spending time in his presence first and foremost before we ask him to do things for us. Before we delight in, in, in seeing our prayers answered, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be 
thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This speaks of the reality of us approaching him in worship, approaching him in a place of intimacy and communion, and we're praying for the reality of his presence in our lives. Yeah, we're going to pray for him to give us our daily bread. We're going to pray that he delivers us from our enemies. But there's a place of worship when he delivers us from the evil one. But there's a place of intimacy. There's a place of worship that he's calling us to. Jesus' prayer life was that of a deep desire to spend time with his father. This is what drew him into the wilderness. And the busier he got, the more he prayed. The demands on his life, praying for hundreds, thousands of people perhaps every day. But again, even all of those people that he laid his hands on and healed for them, it still doesn't account for all the miracles that took place. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah, wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Why? I believe that because Jesus, when he showed up into a city, a town, a village, when he walked down the road, there was a reality of the, re- of, of the development of the establishment of an environment, an atmosphere of the presence of God everywhere he went. And as people just stepped into that atmosphere, it began to change things. It began to shift things in people's lives. There's a church in America, in the city of Minneapolis right now, that for about seven months has been having daily meetings, daily services. The man who is leading the meetings, for the most part, is actually an Australian evangelist, revivalist. And he went there, and God began to move and do miracles. And the pastor said to him, I really believe we've got to keep this going. For seven months, they've been meeting every day. They've done over 200 meetings. What has happened is deep, iniquitous things are being dealt with. Strongholds. Sickness and disease that people have had for generations in their bloodline is now being healed. People are being delivered and set free. Why? Because there's a commitment to create this environment in which the power and presence of God is being released. Long-standing conditions. Things that were not, were not being healed. Prayer after prayer. Seeking God, no healing, no answers, nothing occurring. People still struggling with, the, with depression. People still dealing with things in their past. And, and, and people not able to experience this deliverance from strongholds, generational curses. Why is it that now, all of a sudden, many of these people are, have been healed and delivered? Story after story after story. Because they've made a commitment to develop an abiding, tangible presence of the Lord, an atmosphere of the supernatural. You see, if a church is going to experience revival, we have to build a corporate culture of revival, of presence. We have to build a corporate culture. It's not just enough to say, well, I read the Bible and I pray. Jesus has called us to bring heaven to earth. Jesus has called us to bring this environment, this atmosphere of heaven, when the presence of God is, so that people, we just come in contact with it, experience deliverance, transformation, healing. Why is it that we come to church week after week after week, year after year after year, and people are not healed, people are not delivered, people are not set free? Well, some of it clearly is the individuals 
responsibility. You will never experience some things Jesus said will never ever be experienced in your life without a sustainable commitment to prayer and fasting. I'm not just going to pray once in a while. I'm not going to just pray when I'm in trouble. But I am going to move into that place where every day I commune with my heavenly father. Every day I commune with my heavenly father. When you look at the story that we've just read about in our text. We see Jesus is on top of the mountain with his disciples. Peter, James, and John. The rest of the disciples are down in the valley. This father approaches him. My son is desperate. My son is tormented. My son has seizures. This, trans, this particular account in Mark talks about him having a deaf and dumb spirit, a deaf and mute spirit. Would you please heal him? Where's Jesus? Jesus isn't here. Well, will you pray for him? You're his disciples. Will you pray for him? They minister to him. They pin, and the Bible says, but nothing happens. He's not healed. When Jesus comes down, he inquires, what's going on? I brought my son to your disciples. He's tormented. He needs healing. It's desperate. But your disciples were not able to help him. Jesus becomes incensed, disappointed with his disciples. Oh, faithless generation. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. As soon as the boy comes in contact with Jesus, Jesus hadn't prayed, he hadn't commanded healing. As soon as he approached Jesus, the very anointing, the very presence that he carried caused the demons to manifest. Jesus would walk into synagogues and people that were demonized where, where there was nothing happening would begin to manifest. The spirits, the unclean spirits would begin to manifest because of the anointing and the presence that he carried. Jesus said, we can do this too. But our commitment needs to be that of great communion with God uninterrupted intimacy, constant communion, not just something we do on occasion, but a place that we live in. I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It says, pray without ceasing. One translation says, pray constantly. Pray constantly. Be in that place of constant communion. Be in that place of ongoing fellowship with the Father. A great Indian evangelist, minister by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh said this, the essence of prayer does not consist in asking God for something, but in opening our hearts to him, in speaking with him and living with him in perpetual communion. Prayer does not mean asking God for all kinds of things we want. It is rather the desire for God himself, the only giver of life. Prayer is the desire to possess God himself, the source of all life. The true spirit of prayer does not consist in asking for blessings, but in receiving him who is the giver of all blessings and in living a life of fellowship with him. Wow. Bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. This is not a problem. This is not an issue. Bring him to me immediately. This deliverance takes place. The boy is made heal, whole. Later on, the disciples and Jesus catch up. Lord, they ask him, why is it? And we were not able to heal him. Jesus says in Mark's account, because this kind comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Here's the point I want to highlight to us this morning. Jesus said that prayer and fasting is the key to certain breakthroughs. The reason why so many Christians are struggling, are not experiencing healing, and don't even 
even go to God anymore for healing. We seek, like King Asa, we, we seek the physicians instead of God. It's because we don't have this lifestyle of steadfast, consistent communion with God. I know it's not praying 24 hours a day, but the, the psalmist said in, in Psalm 109, you know, he spoke about being persecuted and all the things that he was going through. And the one translation says, I am a man of prayer. Another translation says, I give myself to prayer. In the Hebrew, it actually says, I am prayer. I am prayer. Prayer isn't something I do. Prayer is who I am. But the Bible says that the Father in us, we are in him. That we can become one with the Father. We live in a place of communion, of intimacy with the Father. And when we do, guess what happens? It's like the principle that Jesus taught. Remember, on the last week of his life, he's about to leave. He's about to be raised. To, he's, been ra he's going to die. He's going to be raised to life. And he's going to ascend to the right hand of his Father. The disciples are going to be by themselves on the earth. And Jesus teaches them about a vine and branches. And he says so clearly, what you need to do is recognize that I am the grapevine, my father is the gardener, and remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. When he speaks about remaining in him, he's saying we, you can't, there can be no severance. There can be no disconnect. Because the very moment, think about it in the natural, that a branch is severed or disconnected from the vine, what happens? It starts to die. It stops bearing fruit. It has to stay connected perpetually in order for it to be vibrant and to bear fruit. And we can grieve the Spirit of God. We can quench the Spirit of God. And one of the ways we quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, quench not the Spirit. The NIV says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. One way we do that, as he talks about not, not rejoicing, not giving thanks, but then he also says, we have to have a life of constant communion. You need to keep praying. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Because if you don't, you'll quench the spirit. The fire will go out. The life flow from the vine into the branches will be interrupted. And you'll no longer bear fruit. You'll stop producing the fruit that your father wants you to. So here is Jesus. Guys, the reason why you couldn't do this is because this kind comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And Jesus says, okay, guys, let's go and do a three-hour prayer meeting, and then we'll go back and heal this young lad. Is that what he said? No. Jesus didn't say, all right, I understand your son needs deliverance. Your son needs healing. Let me withdraw into the secret place with my father for three days. I'll fast and pray, and then I'll come back and I'll deal with it. Now, Jesus said we have to fast and pray with, if we're going to see this kind, that kind, that specific example that would not have been deliverance except Jesus had already been living in a state of constant communion with his father, a perpetual prayer, and even a fasting. He was already prayed up. He didn't have to get prayed up. Jesus was always prayed up. Jesus was always filled with the Holy Spirit. Bring him to me. I'm prayed up. I'm fasted. I'm ready. The anointing. You see, there's something about building this sustainable environment in our lives where there is no disruption there is no disconnection, but it's something that becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And I know that when we miss prayer, when we disconnect from prayer, even for one day, 
that it can impact that, uh, the anointing and the presence in our lives. I know that if we live in sin, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and the presence of God will, will withdraw from our lives. I know if we murmur and complain that we grieve the Holy Spirit. I know, according to Ephesians 4, that if we lie, if we speak about other people, if we, if we gossip, I know that it grieves the Holy Spirit and we lose the anointing. I know when we complain. I know when we whinge that it grieves the Holy Spirit. I know when we refuse to give thanks, when we refuse to pray, when we refuse to worship him, that it grieves the Holy Spirit. I know when we focus on how bad things are in our lives, and instead of how good and glorious our God is, that it grieves the Holy Spirit, and we're not able to live in that state of constant communion so that we experience that sustainable environment and that atmosphere of heaven where the miraculous can flourish in our lives. Those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Daniel eleven thirty two. Those who know their God, those who have an intimate relationship with their God will, first of all, they'll be strong. Why are we so weak? Why is it that we can't stand? Why is it that we get knocked over by every, by every wave? Trials, difficulties come to our lives. We go through something and we just go off the rails because we don't know our God. We don't know our God. I, I don't understand people that just have such a casual atmosphere that they, they don't even have a commitment to prayer. They don't have a commitment to be in the word. They don't have a commitment to be in the house of God. There's something about the corporate environment that, that is so critical and essential. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to watch Todd White or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Let me tell you that. That will not create that corporate atmosphere that God is looking for. You need to be around other believers. We need to come together in one accord and in one place as we pray, as we seek God, as we worship. And yes, we do it in our private times. Yes, we have time alone with God every day. And yes, there, are, there is a constant place of communion with him even during the day where we walk in the spirit. But then as we come together to pray, whether it's Wednesday night or any other time, in homes, and connect groups, we're coming together to pray. We're building this corporate atmosphere where people can come into our churches and people will be supernaturally drawn to this house by the Spirit of God without seeing a Facebook advertisement or even some of us even sharing something with them because the Spirit and the atmosphere of this place is going to draw people supernaturally and they'll come in and they'll encounter God and they'll experience deliverance and freedom and they'll be set free from things that have deep iniquitous things, things that have kept them in bondage for years, generational stuff. They'll be delivered and they'll be made whole, but it will not happen unless we learn to live in that place of constant communion with the Holy Spirit. It will not happen. Those who know their God will be strong, first of all, but secondly, they will do great exploits. They will do great exploits. They will heal the sick. They will cast out devils. They will speak a word and it will come to pass. People will change. You will change. I will change. As a result of being connected to him. His life flowing in us. We cannot stay the same when his life is flowing into us. Do you recognize that? Initially, I, I thought I would use the analogy of, you know, plugging into a PowerPoint. But this is very mechanical. It's very, it's very mechanical. It doesn't really give us the picture adequately of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Jesus uses an organic relationship between that of a branch and a vine. And what happens is the life that is in the vine, the DNA, so to speak, that is in the vine flows into the branch and the branch bears fruit effortlessly. If we would stay connected to him, 
If we would be in that place where we'll stop being negative, we'll stop complaining, we'll stop, you know, just looking at things this way, and we'll begin to worship him and praise him. And yeah, are things difficult? Yeah, but join the club. Welcome to planet Earth. You are not the only person who has problems in life. In fact, I can guarantee you that there are people in the world that have it much worse than you do, and they're overcoming. One of the things that is so amazing when we go to the Philippines is we see people living in poverty, people not having much, people who don't know what they're going to do with their lives. How am I going to take care of my family? What am I going to do? What is my future going to behold? And yet these people are worshiping God and they don't deal with, with all of the stuff that we deal with. They have so little, but they have so much. Because they believe. They trust in God. He's going to take care of me. He's going to help me. He's going to bring me through this. I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to be at prayer meeting. I'm going to go to where I need to go. I'm going to keep a positive mindset. I'm going to, I'm going to have a mindset of faith. And I'm going to have the confession of my mouth so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in your sight, O oh God. That's what David said. Let those words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, let it be acceptable. Let it be pleasing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You cannot stay the same when his DNA is in you. Come on now. When his life is flowing in you, I reckon that probably 90% of Christian books would not need to be written if we would embrace the principle of staying in connection and relationship with him, allowing his life to constantly infuse us and change us. We wouldn't need all the self-help stuff. We wouldn't be told, we wouldn't need how to, how to, you know, have a healthy marriage. Because what? The love of Jesus is in me. The love of Jesus is in me. How can I be selfish? How can I be cruel? How can I be insensitive to people? Because the very nature and love of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, is in me. Let him drive out. Let him blow out. Let him remove all the stuff that is unlike him. How does that happen? Stay connected. Prayer, worship, get into the atmosphere of God. Come to church. Let's build this corporate environment together where God, we're going to just see miracles happen on Sundays and Wednesdays and any time we come together. We're not going to have to have a special miracle service where we bring in Benny Hinn or somebody from overseas, but we're going to see the miracles happen because we brought the kingdom of God to earth. The atmosphere of heaven is in our midst and we are creating it and as a sustainable environment. Come on. Come on, Ned. Would you come, please? Let's stand, guys. Jesus. Jesus. I remember when I first got married. I remember so clearly. You know, there are things I struggled with. There were things that were going on in my life. And, but I had made a commitment to Jesus that I was going to follow him no matter what. And when I made that commitment, even in the, in the months before Lynn and I got married, because to be very honest, because of my personal struggles and my regression back into the things of the world. She said, that's it. I don't want to marry you. Here's your ring back. Yeah. And it was a wake-up call. And then as I went to the Lord, oh God, change Lynn's heart. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, will you follow me? Will you worship me? If she never comes back to you. Will you do what I've called you to do? Will you be the person I've called you to be? Will you live a holy life? Will you do what I want you to do? Even if she never ever changes her mind and returns to you. 
And it happened almost every day, every day, the Holy Spirit would speak that to me one way or another. I'd go places, someone would walk up to me and say, God says, seek first the kingdom, don't worry about the stuff. He'll, if you seek first his kingdom, he'll take care of you. And God wants you to know that you need to serve him no matter what things look like, no matter what you're believing, what you're expecting. If things don't go the way that you want it to go, will you still serve him? God wants to know, will you still serve him? Will you give him your heart? Will you do it? And every time I turned around, I would get this thrown in my face and the Holy Spirit would just deal with my heart, deal with my heart, deal with my heart. Why are you serving me, son? Why are you serving me? Are you serving me for my promises and provision or are you serving me for my presence? Come on. Why are you serving me? Moses said, God, unless your presence goes with us, don't send us up. God said, I'll, I'll fulfill the promise. I'll, I'll take you into the promised land. Moses said, that's not enough. It's not, it's your, prom, your promise is not enough. I've got to have your presence. I've got to have your presence. I've got to have your presence. I've got to have your glory. I've got to walk in that place where I know you, your glory. Your glory, your presence. Come on. Let's this morning repent if we need to repent. Let's this morning get right with God. Whatever we have to do and let's start building this corporate culture, this atmosphere of heaven on the earth. Build it into our own lives individually. Build it together as a church where two or three are gathered in my name. That means gathered in his name. It doesn't mean we put Jesus in our, even in our prayers or word. It means gathered in his authority. Gathered under the, not just the banner, but actually submitted to him. Gathered in his name. That's what it means. We'll see it happen. Come on, let's just sing this amazing chorus together. I want you to show me your glory. In the U.S. Army, you can make a choice to make your mark. With over 200 fields to choose from, you can join forces with us and take on anything. Visit GoArmy.com to answer, what's your warrior?